0: Stay low, go fast, kill first, die last, one shot, one kill, no luck, all skill. Hello, this is Risky Krisky, and you've stumbled upon my podcast. I'm also on YouTube, so go check that out. But if you like all things Shit Hits the Fan, Minuteman, Prepper, Medical Skills, and just pretty much anything Red Dawn type invasion, well, this is your place. Buckle up for safety, motherfucker, because we're about to go balls to the wall. Risky Crispy, out. Hey, can you hear me, Bill?
1: I absolutely can.
0: Perfect. All right. Well, let's get this thing started. Hope y'all are doing good today.
1: Uh, doing fantastic, doing fantastic. Just knocking out some work around the house and uh, getting things handled. It's a beautiful Sunday morning here.
0: Oh, yeah. And for our listeners, welcome to the show. We've got Bill McCrary here. How you doing, Bill?
1: I'm living life, living life, man. Super excited to be on the show. Um, super excited to talk about some of the stuff we've got going on in 0241 uh, super excited to talk about the future of the culture. It's going to be a great podcast, and I'm excited. Hell yeah, man.
0: So we've been talking uh, for not too long, what would you say, just a couple of weeks now? Maybe maybe a month at the most?
1: Uh, maybe a month
0: at the most. Yeah. I believe what originally got me
1: talking was one of your posts on, um, might have been infantry tactics, if I'm not mistaken, so small unit tactics. Uh, and I had checked you out on that, and I mentioned uh, to you in your DMs that if you had wanted anybody to talk uh, about communications or alternative communications methods, uh, I'd love to come on the show, and that kind of got us talking, and uh haven't looked back since.
0: Oh, yeah. So, for everyone uh, listening, they're probably like, oh, well, this guy's just bringing them on because of 0241 Tactical or you know other reasons, but that's not even the case. We came to to meet because again you've you heard about the podcast and you you have some commo and infantry experience is that correct
1: uh that is correct i was a radio operator with first marine division and then now i am a infantryman with 163rd combined arms battalion out of helena montana um so i've gotten to see the best of both worlds I've gotten to work with some really great people over the years, and I've really been able to see the way that communications integrates into that whole move, shoot, communicate dynamic. Uh, that's really at the base of everything that you do as a gunfighter, and it's super duper interesting uh, to see how the average infantryman handles communications versus how COMO handles communications. <laughs> from the point of making a plan, utilizing gear, uh, it's all very, uh, it's all sticks and stones. It's completely different. Um, And it's a very, it's an interesting dynamic to, to see, of course. And, uh, I think moving forward, my goal, especially, uh, working at O2 and within my unit is to try and bring it to more of a middle ground where it becomes an all-encompassing skill. Um, and I think that that's something that should be focused on a lot more.
0: Being the jack of all trades. Being the
1: jack of all trades is extremely important, you know, uh, especially, and even, even for private citizens, it's, it's extremely important. You know, I, I always, I always tell people, you know, before you spend $2,000 on a rifle, spend $15 on a Walmart walkie talkie and practice speaking over it. You know, when you press that key button, things get a little different. People's brains go weird. Uh, I've seen some privates say some wild shit over the radio. <laughs> and it's, uh, it's one of those things where, if you don't practice, you're never going to be able to play, and uh, it's it's definitely. It's I've definitely seen very some
0: battalion chiefs uh, in large cities say some really dumb shit on the radio. <laughs> yeah, so oh, it's absolutely. not just private. That that <laughs> block goes all the way up. If you're not practicing oh, the correct yeah. way, you're doing it wrong, and everyone's mocking you, and it's absolutely. just wasting time on the on the line. Absolutely. I yeah, think but, that's, like, one of the yeah, bigger things there. If I could, as a, a non-expert, if you will, compared to maybe you being the subject matter expert here, my biggest thing that I see is people just rambling or saying, like, at this time, like, we get it. It's at this time. You're communicating it right now. Like, we don't need you to, to add in the the phrases. That just took two <laughs> seconds, right? That kind of stuff.
1: Yeah. The beautiful, The beautiful thing is radio communications is short and sweet you know it's it's always been short and sweet and especially coming at it from less of a military perspective and coming at it from more of a you know a more of a private citizen approach because that's where especially uh you know firearms culture that's where we're seeing it turn to is hey i want to be proficient and not just being able to you know do a clean double double tap with my glock <coughs> excuse me um do a clean double tap with my Glock. I also want to be able to run radio. I also want to know how to manage kit. I also want to know how to make clean drinking water, you know, and the great thing about uh, radio communications from the perspective of a private citizen is you're taking out so much of the meat that makes it effective in a military setting that makes it far more effective in a civilian setting. Uh, you know, spot reports don't exist in a civilian world. I can just radio to my buddy, hey, east side of the property, there are three guys. Two of them have AKs. One guy's got an AR. And right there, every bit of information that they need is out. If they need any more, they can ask for it. Because you're not running that up to a talk. You're not running that up to the BC to make a call. It's it's all kind of more contained. And it makes it so much smoother.
0: And that... uh. That notion of the civilians, like these ham operators or or similar, right? They don't necessarily have to be ham operators, but just having that base knowledge and understanding of comms in a civilian situation. Like, think about there's so few people that are are squared away with radios to where if something really does go worst case scenario in this country you can be an asset and think about it like night vision. Like that's a force multiplier. If you are going to have a neighborhood or your local group get together and no one has radios. And then all of a sudden you're like, no, actually I know how to set up this base station and I can get a repeater out and we can communicate with the next town over or the next mutual assistance group, or we can extend our range. Right. And if you have that, you are such an asset. And if you think about it, there's millions of Americans out there. This decentralized web of communication is exactly the kind of thing that guys like me are, are extremely interested in.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. And I think there's another... There's there's a big point that I make, and and I even make this to my guys, you know, at 163 and Bravo Company. I tell them, and this is bringing it forward a little bit, you need to learn to sew before you learn to shoot. Right? And it's, it's, it's not necessarily the sewing really doesn't have anything to do with it. Um, but what it means is that there are other base level skills that come far before you should be focused on doing small unit movements with a loaded weapon. You know, you need to, you need to know how to, you know, you need to know how to make clean drinking water for yourself is a huge one. You know, you'll, you'll see people out there like, well, if, if I'm in the mountains, I can just drink it from the white water. It's like mm, Well,
0: Do you really want to make that chance? You really want to do that? (laughs) You
1: know, you know, it's it's uh it's people prioritizing the things that look cooler is starting to fall out of fashion more, you know. Because I mean, of course, going out, going out with your buddies, you know, running drills, running in kit, it's all great. It's all it's all fancy and cool, awesome. But are you proficient enough in the skills that you need to actually keep yourself alive, to keep yourself clothed? to keep yourself fed to keep yourself watered um because if you get to the point where you're using those small unit tactics you're up shit creek without a paddle if you don't know those other things
0: well that's such a small percentage of life right i mean you know this as a military guy yourself like that part is one percent of everything everything else is logistics and and supporting that one percent so as a civilian you don't have the logistical backup Right, you know the gay notion bullets don't fly without supply. That shit you see pogues with, uh, tattooed on their arms, like Ab- that's real though.
1: Absolutely, it is. It it absolutely is.
0: And your best um, chance as a that's... civilian is to not fight and to have all those other skills, right? So the fighting thing, I think, absolutely. almost comes last besides your basic home defense setup.
1: Absolutely, that's that's what I that's that's one of those things that I've I've gotten a particularly. Uh, I don't want to say nuanced. Nuanced always sounds pretentious to me when I say it, but I've gotten to That's see fancy. both sides of the coin now. You know, it's very fancy. Uh, I've to, I've <laughs> not an see, infantryman's
0: uh, term is nuanced.
1: <laughs> it's not an infantryman's term, yeah. I've gotten, uh, I've gotten to see both sides of the coin, you know, because I worked with First TSB uh, out of Camp Pendleton. I worked with CLR-17 uh, and CLR-1 and CLB-1 over there as well when I was a radio operator. So I got to see every moving part. When a talk for a logistics unit is setting up their comp plan, they're setting up their class four, class five resupply plans. All of these things are, you know, compared to a compared to a complex ambush, they're also widespread. And there's so many moving parts. You know, if there's too many moving parts parts in an ambush, you know you're doing something wrong. Right. That's what I've. That's what I've always been told. That's what I've always seen. If there's too many moving parts, someone's gonna get hurt. You're doing something wrong. But with that logistics approach, there's no way to eliminate the moving parts because you actually have parts that need to be moved. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so um, being able to see both sides of the coin is super interesting because, you know, that old adage, bullets don't fly without supply. It's a lot truer than a lot of people would have it, you know, be recognized as. Yeah. And um, yeah. I think that especially, you know, moving forward with, I haven't really found a great term for the, the movement that I'm seeing now, but it just seems like it's a lot of very prepared citizens. And I feel like taking the time to sit down with the people that you're working with or you're training with and going, Hey, you know, we could go to the range today, but today I want to talk about if you had to stay in your house for two weeks, do you have enough water to support your family? You know, do you have enough food? Do you have transportation that's adequate to get to a rally point? You know, do you do you have all these other things that make what, you know, God forbid, might have to happen happen?
0: It's it's almost virtually impossible for any one, let's say, prepper in this case to have all this stuff. You have to be at like the top one percent of all preppers. Right. To even to have all mm -hmm. these things squared away one thing i have found yeah. in like our group is and and everyone's different right everyone wants to to prepare in a different way if you're in a group and they're all gun guys and no one's like got a property with cows and like chickens and shit like that then that's you need to find that guy and it needs to be close yeah. so everyone can flee or go to that property and you got to have a plan of how to get to that property and you got you probably need somebody that has energy right or they they're the energy guy you might need need a commo guy and if we, if everyone's communicating, they have a plan to get together. That way you can be somewhat of a jack of all trades. But let's say your expertise is you're the food, you know how to prepare food and hunt and get all that together, or you're a farmer, or you are the commo specialist, or you're the tactician. And then you have, then we can run classes, right? It's like think of it as an ODA. Everyone is an expert in one thing and they know a little bit about everything. Take those classes. Absolutely. Like you said, it doesn't have to be range day every day. Today can be, water filtration day or today can be we're checking out how to do how to make uh uh, a water electric power right because there's a creek on the property we're going to go out and look at how to fix it when it's broken and how to troubleshoot it something like that it's not sexy but that's going to be your life uh you might be patrolling all the time because you're that guy in the group but you're probably not going to be seeing anything and most of the time you're going to be doing work on the back end helping out on the property
1: absolutely and and i think One of the interesting things, you said something that's interesting to me there, and it's something that I I see time and time again, and it's both concerning, and it's both a moment of like, it kind of cracks me up a little bit because it excites me, and that's that you said, hey, it might not be as sexy, right? Spend one day, and this is a challenge to all the listeners, spend one day looking at the way that a solar panel system works and i can i can send you a link uh as well if you want to and you can put it up in the description of the podcast but there are ways to make self-contained solar systems out of a pelican crate you know and you can do that and it'll run basic appliances and it'll run maybe two or three lights as long as you have sunlight and if you have a deep cell battery cycle cell battery in there it's going to run even longer and spend one day attempting to build maybe two or three parts of it. And you'll see that it's so fun. Because this is a culture of people who like to learn. You know, learning fundamentals on a pistol and learning the fundamentals of wiring an inverter, they're just as technical, first of all, and they're just as fun. You know, even even figuring out, like you said, like say there's a creek and you're thinking hydroelectrics. If you go out there with three of your buddies and you spend all day creating a plan to build something together that's going to come out with a clear and concise reward, that's that's what brings the fun into the situation. Make it fun. Bring a couple beers out there and a couple of schematics and hang out with your buddies and learn this stuff together because you all become more competent warriors in that way, right? Absolutely. And you get to have that team building experience as well. You know, and and I think that that's something that a lot of people kind of gloss over. Some of the most fun that I've ever had is me and three other Lance corporals back in 2018, trying to figure out how to set up a slash wire antenna for the first time, because it'll rattle your brain for hours. Right. But when you get done, you're like, wow, I really did that. I got that fucking calm up. We say we used to say, get that fucking calm up. Like people say, get that gun up. because we thought we were cool. But we got that calm up and it was a, it was a super rewarding experience because now I have a skill that I'll have for the rest of my life. You're gaining freedom. You're gaining a little bit of that freedom there. And that's fantastic. Self-sufficiency is one of the greatest feelings on the planet. Um, and I think that that's, that's something that people don't necessarily make that push for because they're like, well, you know, I don't want to spend all day watching a wiki how video on how to route an inverter or how to build a hydroelectric dam on a small scale. And, um, I think, I think honestly within this podcast, I would challenge people to give it a try. Right. Pick a skill that you think might be interesting. Go give it a try. If you shoot for the stars and you still miss, I bet you you still learn something along the way.
0: My, my thought process is the people, maybe not all of them. A lot of the people that, refuse to go out and and do that or or might be hesitant it's because maybe it's not real enough yet does that make sense like uh i'm not gonna spend my time now doing that because what are the odds it's gonna happen and it's like if you knew what the odds truly were let's say you knew it was gonna happen you would find the time to do this because you would know how shit out of luck you would be if you wait until after there's no internet connection or something along those lines uh and you have to go Mm -hmm. find somebody in your town who's probably going to shoot you for running up on their property because they don't know what's going on absolutely
1: absolutely and i think that i think that that's another that's another point that uh honestly i was going to talk to you later and uh i might give a little bit of background real quick if you don't mind uh sean smothers uh sean smothers great man uh the owner of 0241 took me under his wing Uh, After I got out of the Marine Corps and started up with the army up here in Montana, um, he's been an intelligence analyst for, I want to say, going on 20, 21 years now. And the amount of stuff that I've learned from that man just sitting behind a a sewing machine across from him and just going, hey, tell me about how you handle, you know, Intel and Fallujah. You know, tell me about how you um, handled this situation or that. And I would even bring up hypotheticals to him. And I'd be like, hey, in this situation, you need to gather intelligence on this. What's your first move? Talking to him, I never thought that I would care anything about the S2 or worry anything about any of the any of the spooks out there, you know? Well, you learn so much from it, and it's so much fun. Because you're wargaming in your head. You know? And, and I think that it's... I think it's one of those things where talking to him has led me to look at different avenues of information. And the more that you look at different avenues of information, the more you go, Hey, this, this is honestly a very real possibility. And, um, I think that going forward, people need to be more cognizant of the fact that this all goes downhill really quick. It it, it doesn't end in a, in a smother. It ends in a bang, you know? And, uh, I think that I think that you're absolutely spot on. A lot of people think it's not their problem right now. You know,
0: the people that think it's not their problem or or let's say who are unprepared will cause it to be everyone else's problem when the time comes, because they're going to be they're going to be so desperate. They'll do anything. Absolutely. When their family's hungry and they're, you know, they see that look in their kid's eye, they will do anything.
1: Absolutely. I mean, and I could, I can understand because I would be in the same boat.
0: Right. And And, that like the moral high ground is to avoid that to begin with.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. I think you're absolutely spot on with that point. Um, you know, it's just, it's about, it's about understanding that you can do things now. And I think a lot of people don't quite, uh, don't quite grasp that uh, you, you mentioned earlier uh, something that I thought was interesting. You know, you said that uh, the top 1% of the preparedness community uh, it, that's the kind of designator that we'll go with. They're the ones that have the money for uh, communications or stuff like that, or that's the common misconception. And, you know, I was, and this is not me stroking my own dick, but I was, I want to say 20 years old on a, on a Lance corporal salary. And I could go to a local, you know, ACE hardware and I could build you a radio communication survival kit for probably 30 bucks, you know? And it's, it's one of those things where if you have the knowledge, you have the know-how and you really take the time to look at where you can do things and how you can do things, you'll find out that, It's a lot more attainable than you think. I always tell people to go to pawn shops and this is, this is, I'm going to share my secret right now. I love pawn shops. So uh, I fucking love pawn shops. I went to one locally the other day and I got some really nice woodworking stuff. So I got draw knives, uh, an entire timber saw. um, And then I got four or five animal traps. So they're the claw or the claw animal traps for the leg. Uh, so you can get pretty much anything in Montana on those. Um, and then I got a few heavier down uh, camo jackets. They were all like M65s from the Vietnam era. Oh yeah. Um, and it cost me like oh, fifty. Yeah. It cost me like fifty bucks. And I just made a way to make shelter, a way to get food, and a way to clothe myself in kind of the harsh environment that I live in for fifty bucks right there. If I never use them, it's fifty bucks out of my pocket over the span of you know three weeks. And I can throw them in a bin, put them in the garage, and they're there in case I ever do need them.
0: What well, goes back to the that, podcast that I first did called the MacGyver Mindset? Like, You have to have the information and knowledge to be able to make the decisions connecting all of that knowledge to the current dilemma. So if, you, if you're if you pooling, absolutely. if you're, let's say, the test bank, the question pool, right, is 400 questions, that's your knowledge, right? What happens when the 450th possibility comes up right you you widen your understanding hey now i know kamo then maybe you go to 500 right i'm just using an uh, an unrelated number there but then you get some medical stuff then maybe you're a 600 right so then you have all these different possibilities that you can connect based on your knowledge to overcome whatever situation put yourself out there and- absolutely Focus on something else with your fine motor skills um, instead of worrying about, you know, the base level. people get hung up on because they're overwhelmed.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. And commo, com, com is a, it's, it's kind of a moot point. And I have, uh, I have probably a million rants. I could go on about this. And, uh, the first thing you want to you want to ask yourself is what kind of context are we looking at this in? Because there's two different approaches to, you know, communications. This kind of going back to that information gathering on a skill, and there's two different situations from which a private citizen is going to be able to approach communications, right? That's that first situation is going to be hey, we have you know an occupying force, whatever that occupying force is. Um, you know, I'm not going to make any distinctions just because I like my Nick's backgrounds to go through. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> I'm uh,
0: some sort of military <laughs> occupying, right?
1: Some sort of opposition force.
0: Correct. Um, yeah.
1: At that <laughs> point, using any using any level of radio communications is just a terrible idea.
0: Yeah, that's my big notion a- as a guy who doesn't know much is it scares me to use them when I think we're gonna need them most.
1: So uh, this is kind of calling back to my time in the Marine Corps as Como. Um, we would run peer on, uh, peer, peer on peer, right? And we could transmit and using Wolfhounds and other kinds of uh, radio triangulation software if you key out for more than three or four seconds, they know your location. And at that point, we were receiving intelligence that Russian armed forces in Ukraine at the time when it was just a conflict. And I believe the Donbass, um, they could pinpoint a radio communications transmission. And then that entire grid square would not exist anymore. And that's kind of, them at their point of least desperation
0: and that doesn't matter like see you can key up for one second and then it doesn't matter you're probably still somewhere in that grid square so they don't have to know your exact. absolutely
1: yeah they don't have to know the exact location they just have to know what grid square you're in and then they can call a fire mission and that's it
0: and now uh so what i think get the high mars systems over there do the same thing
1: (laughs) yeah exactly you know so you're you're kind of fucked up shit creek without a paddle, even with crypto. Crypto only encrypts the message. You can listen in on a frequency that's running crypto, but if you're listening in on that frequency that's running crypto, crypto, you just won't hear anything, right? But a wolfhound, are you familiar with a wolfhound?
0: I know it's the software to triangulate uh, transmissions. So that's about all I know.
1: It, it's a software and it's also an equipment system. So it's an equipment system that's pack mounted. Uh, it's man-pack operable. And what it does is a radio transceiver at the top. And they can basically turn around in a 360 and it's going to give them every radio frequency that's broadcasting on the ground wave. Right? So not using sky wave propagation, not using um, IW or DEMA. Um, so those are both... Satellite communications and then sky wave propagation is going to be your long shot HF. So if I were trying to shoot an HF to, you know, Japan, I would use sky wave propagation. Um, but at that point, it's, it's kind of moot. If you're using any form of ground wave communication, this system can pick up that ground wave communication, isolate a radio signal, give you a frequency, and then you can cross reference that with frequencies that you've received in the area. So you figure out whether you have a dead frequency, which might be one that's repeating over and over, which might be one that's a radio station, a commercial radio station, or one that transmits, goes dark for a little bit. Transmits, goes dark for a little bit. So this is a big proponent, a big reason why I'm a proponent of uh, abnormal radio checks. Don't do it every hour because if someone's using that software, and they're receiving one steady communication from one radio frequency in one direction every hour on the hour. They can reasonably assume and then push reconnaissance
0: to, to, to where find that you. signal's going. And, uh, or where that signal's originating yeah, from. See,
1: yeah, see where that signal's originating from. So, from the point of an occupying force, you know, a great point. you're kind of a shit out point. of luck. But there's, so there's no where... way to
0: bypass that. Like, let's say, I mean, in HF, right? If you're using HF, they can pick that up just as easy because that's what like transponders and like uh, aren't aircraft like the occupying force would use HF as like emergency beacons and on that that sort of line. So they'd be monitoring it anyway.
1: Absolutely, um, that's that's absolutely correct. And I would say the only radio communications that you want to use are things on the UHF high band. So the UHF high band is gonna be your sweet spot. And that's because A, it works better in urban environments because those radio waves are moving so fast, right? And it's such a short frequency that they're gonna be able to push through buildings, you're gonna be able to communicate in an urban environment, but also you don't get as much range out of them. And so the range is, The range is the great... uh, It's like the great equalizer here. You know, if you have a small unit and they're operating Wolfhound and they find you over over UHF, you were already destined for that gunfight anyway. Right?
0: Because they were close enough to pick you
1: up. Because they they were close enough to pick you up. Because, you know, UHF high band is going to be anywhere from five on the low end to maybe eight, nine miles. Right? Now that seems like a pretty large distance but in the grand scheme of things especially if you have hills and mountains it's going to separate you so if i'm on the other side of a mountain range and the mountain range we'll say is uh three miles across to the other side to the draws on the other side if i'm transmitting uhf on the other side the chances of them being able to pick it up on the other side of that mountain are absolutely you know they're minimal right i doubt that they would um, so UHF high band is a great place to be if you do want to utilize radio communications. But what I think we're the best option is going to be right. And I've thought on this for a while. I've, I've been thinking about maybe writing a paper on it or, or, uh, trying to, trying to push this information out in some way. So this is a great platform and a great time to do it, I think. And this is a great, um, this is a, a great time to, to coin this phrase here, but we got to return to monkey. Okay.
0: Return to like
1: monkey. Like, absolutely, yeah. Return to monkey. Okay. I mean, runners with marked cases. So, are you familiar with the concept of a runner with a marked case?
0: Uh, the marked case, not so much, but I mean, I, I know what runners are, right? I'm assuming the marked case means it's, you know, they can ensure the message is legit.
1: Absolutely. So the great the best way to set this up is to have two communications liaisons between each right so and this is this is more of the this is more of the um this is more of the small unit tactics kind of we're working together with a group of people have one person that's dedicated communications liaison right that one person is the only person who holds the key to the marked case And then everyone who goes out is gonna have one person that's gonna be dedicated for communications. And they have a key that opens that marked case. So there's, you're eliminating a lot of the risk of somebody just writing up a message, giving it to the runner and saying, hey, take this over there, right? The only person that's gonna be able to put a message in that marked case is that one person that you trust with that key. So at that point you would have one person who's designated a runner and this can either be a person who just has excellent cardio or it can be the person with the fastest car in an urban setting right and so that person's sole job within the within that small unit is going to be hey i run messages that's all i do and it's it's uh it's something that you see the taliban use this a ton right they did it on a more rudimentary level And they usually did it with just a folded-up piece of paper, because it can be a lot less conspicuous that way. But you know, they'd be like, "Hey, kid, you're taking your goats, and you're going over here. And there's going to be a guy waiting for you. You're going to give him this piece of paper, right?" It happened a ton, especially when they started, you know, when they started realizing this. this uh, This was kind of a lot of the ODAs were what tipped them off, because they were putting out documentaries on the war in Afghanistan. And then they would show the ODAs listening in on the Taliban traffic over these civilian radios that they'd acquired. And some of them were, you know, some military radios that they'd acquired. And they were like, holy shit, they're just listening to everything that we're saying.
0: Yep. Back so when I was started in Iraq, getting we could hear, we were listening to them on ICOMS all the time. They had yeah. no idea we were listening to them. <laughs>
1: Absolutely. Just open. So nat- you, can,
0: you can thank National
1: Geographic for diamond on your turp. So, uh, that's, that's, uh, it's, it's, it's one of those things where it worked super well for them because they could plan a complex ambush over the course of a kid going village to village, you know? And I would never, I would never recommend using children at all, but you know, use someone who's resourceful, someone who has outdoor skills, use someone who can navigate your environment with ease and it's going to completely eliminate that tracking aspect, you know? Oh yeah. um, And there yeah, are better there are better ways to plan around that as well. You could say have them wear a backpack. You know, their their assault pack. Make it something inconspicuous. You know, make them keep civilian clothing if you're doing some kind of patrol. Make them keep that in their pack. You know, that way they can easy quick change. I'm just a normal dude. Um, and I think that I think that going forward, that's going to be one of the best ways. The other way is the signal panels, you know, everyone who's been in the military knows what a signal panel is. Yeah. Right. Um, Signal panel at the top of a mountain can be a great, great communication method, especially if someone knows where to look for you to flash a panel. Right. So if you set up a rally point and you have an observer, They can observe and they can pass it on. Have you ever seen the old movies where they'll light the bonfires for miles and miles to tell them an army's coming?
0: Oh, yeah. Sort of like Mogadishu when they're burning the tires.
1: Mogadishu when they're burning the tires. That's a perfect example. Right. And finding these sneaky community. I honestly... I wish that everyone knew how to do messenger pigeons. I've been thinking about getting messenger
0: pigeons. Bring back messenger pigeons. Because
1: I yeah.
0: <laughs> bring back messenger pigeons. That's
1: if you take anything away from Old Bill McCrary on this podcast, bring back messenger pigeons. Bring them back. They'll be your Mike Tyson does it, you can do it. Okay. He got Family, 100 got brain damage.
0: So 500. <laughs> you saw that video. Didn't you? <laughs> 500 pigeons. If
1: Mike Tyson could do it, you could do it. Okay. Uh, let me let me it's, inter- it's let me interject name.
0: real quick. Just because I'm, oh yeah, I want to pass this because uh, we're we're gonna pass this up pretty quick. Um, as a, as far as counterintelligence, right? Or just think about what we're doing, right? As far as trying to pass messages. Now consider yourself uh, obtaining an a, an enemy. POW, right? Or you you perform that ambush on the occupying force or raid or they hit you and you survive and you have prisoners, right? When you check these prisoners, they need to be under, somebody needs to have a rifle on them or a weapon on them. You need to be being very careful, but a lot of people don't understand, we're not just checking them for weapons. We're going through the brim of their hat, the I mean, every infantryman has to do this uh, and going through their collar, their belt, taking the belt out, taking the shoestrings, everything looking inside under their soles of their shoes for messages because people hide this. That's the main we're looking for intelligence. So if you find anything like that, even if it's just numbers written on a piece of paper, that's a code that might be frequencies or grid coordinates. We like take that back to your higher um, uh, chain of command.
1: Absolutely. That's a, that's a big, uh, that's a big pass up uh, that a lot of people get hung up on. You know, we, we run a lot of uh, enemy POW search and seizure over at 163 and a lot of them didn't quite grasp it in the beginning, but we actually started hiding things in interesting places on our bodies. Like I remember I had a piece of cardboard between my butt cheeks with grid coordinates on it. And it took five guys rolling through me to find this. Cause there was one dude who was just totally comfortable with jamming his thumb and his finger between my crack and credit carding me. And he was like, what's this? And I was like, you found it. Congratulations. Get your fingers out of my butt. And that was, uh, You know, that's, it, you can train that stuff. You don't necessarily have to go to that level, but you can train that stuff as well. You know, have your buddy hide a message on his body. See if you can find it. You know, you have to practice in order to play. And, right. uh, you know, I think I honestly think that's the most fun you can have on a Saturday afternoon, just searching your buddy over and over. Um, and well, to, t- t- to take it
0: one level deeper, right, on the paranoia scale for people out there. Also, Absolutely. once once you start doing this and pe- and the enemy catches on. Um, they're gonna booby trap stuff, so they're gonna they might make it look like oh here's a, a fuck ton of files and a map and everything, and you pick it up and it blows up, or they they start booby trapping dead bodies, right? So be weary of this stuff, and all you have, always have to have your eyes out. And one of the moves we did, if they're face down, um, we're gonna jump on their back. Somebody's gonna have a rifle on them, right? So it's a group of you go up there, a guy jumps on their back. That way, if they have a grenade or an explosive under them, their body takes the brunt of it, not you. And you roll their body to the side and you got to get a guy that says clear or not um so that's i mean absolutely. that's kind of not the it's not my favorite technique but it it does the job as opposed to just willy-nilly getting your arms blown off because you're not thinking
1: absolutely it, it does you have to be careful of those things and you know it's it's a shame really that it has to be mentioned it is and i think that that's a that's that's the i never especially before my military career and even in the early years of it, I never thought that I would feel the absolute gut-wrenching feeling of my civilian buddies coming up and being like, Hey, you know, I don't feel safe. I want you to help me feel safe. Yeah. And it's, it's a, it's, you know, it's a shame, but also, it just shows the, the where the public opinion is shifting to, you know. I never considered I we would that, be um, in
0: this spot at least this quickly. And I, make, I want every all the listeners to understand um, this is not where I want to be at all. I'd rather be lost in the sauce watching Braves games, not even realizing this is something going on. Back before I realized absolutely. that there are people out there literally trying to make war because they're losing power, like – I wish I was naive still, it'd be, it'd be easier, but we're not right. And that's why you're probably listening to this. I I don't want to be here. I wish I could, I wish I could plug back into the matrix and I wish the matrix was safe, but it's not. And now you know that, you know, that you're plugged, you know that people are plugged in, you can see it. You can walk around and just see it.
1: Absolutely. And uh, it it is, it's a shame, but you know, I'm, I'm glad that there's a little bit of that American spirit alive you know and it's and it seems like it's growing daily and um
0: i do like that uh, i think it's
1: it's, yeah it's it's a wonderful thing i've seen especially here in montana um montana is a weird place right because when you when you come out especially to the smaller towns in montana you're stepping back into time you know a lot of a lot of times and um I think the interesting thing is self-sufficiency for people because of the, you know, the harsh weather conditions, the terrain, everything about this place. Self-sufficiency was never something that these people had to learn, you know, and growing up, I grew up in Southeast Alabama and as redneck as it is down there, you know, um, a lot of people still rely totally on modern infra- infrastructure Um, but I think right now I'm sitting, I'm sitting outside my house and I can see 30 horses right now. I can count them <laughs> out for you, and that's because it's the, it's the way of life here. It's a, it's a tool for them to live, and
0: it's just a harsher environment. It's kind of natural selection. It's a harsher. You're not going to make it.
1: It's, yeah, natural selection. You're not going to make it. It's it's amazing. And I, I might go on a little, a little aside here if you don't mind. But go um, for. It we had we had we had four houses on the mountain that came up for sale uh one guy in new york bought one and then three californians uh bought them uh the other three they were here for a summer the winter came and then the u-haul trucks came yeah and it was it was uh, we had made jokes about it uh we had a. Uh, we had kinda cracked jokes like, ah, oh, they're not gonna last the winter. But you know, no one expected them to give up this eight hundred and fifty thousand dollar house that they bought. You know? And we we were just baffled. We were like, Well you really couldn't take it that much.
0: It was you know? that bad. I
1: didn't see you I didn't see you chop one log this summer. I didn't see you prepare in any way for there to be eight feet of snow on the ground you know, and then you're crying like, Oh my God, why, why can't I stay in Montana? It's like, Hey buddy, you've got to earn it here. You know, (laughs) you've got to, you've got to earn it here. And I think that that's something that going back to Alabama to visit, you know, my family and stuff, I've tried to impart that in them, you know, life's good now. What, what happens when it, what happens when the music stops? You know, what, what happens when it comes to I've got to heat my house, you know, what happens, what happens when all these things come to fruition? And, uh, I know. One of the reasons that I moved to this community is because I know people will be fine. And I know that my family is protected. At least my immediate family is protected. Um, and I think that the move towards self-sufficiency is the spirit of who we are as a country. And, uh, it's a beautiful thing, but it's also a, an absolutely terrifying thing that we are
0: what we are. It's like you said um, with the music stopping. Uh, I think a lot of us, me included, get the vibe it could stop any time. I, I want to say my gut tells me maybe closer to win the, another election, right? That would be kind of yeah. the, the most possible or probable tipping point. Um, but that being said, if if you're the string puller at the top, I don't want to do it when everyone expects it as well so the music could absolutely. it's like it literally could stop anytime so on my end i'm well, ramping up with like nobody's business
1: oh absolutely and, and i think it's it's one of those things where um it's one of those things where you shouldn't be holding your breath every time there's a polarizing moment like there's there's a, you know it, it never fails something will happen and everybody's like is this is this is it is this uh is this what's going down? Are we, are we doing this thing? And, uh, I think it's, I think it's, uh, it's coming along. I don't, I don't see much longer for the way of life that we have now. And, um, I think that it's your duty, you know, as just a citizen of the United States to be prepared for things like that.
0: I really believe we're that last bastion of hope, uh, between the, the, the bad powers that be at the top and the rest of the world because of the second amendment. And I think they know that, which is why it just feels like they they would have to take that second amendment uh, or go for it for everything to, to begin. I think a lot of people feel that way, especially oh, with the rhetoric being tossed around right now.
1: Well, I mean, I, I've heard a lot of very interesting facts over the past few days uh, that I didn't know. You know, as as someone in this culture, you're always learning. Um, I, thank God, have never had to shoot anyone with a 9 millimeter, but now I know not to aim for their lung. Correct. Okay? That's a very, very important distinction. Devastating lung shots. <laughs> um, oh uh, devastating lung shots. Oh, uh, man. Devastating lung shots. Instant blood eagle. Um, just the so, blatant ignorance
0: the, on gun stuff—it just blows my mind. The people that want to impose the most have the least amount of knowledge on it. It's baffling.
1: Well, it's it's like uh, I'll bring I'll bring my my young lady up on this. Before we got together, she knew nothing about firearms, and so occasionally she would say something like, "Well, I just don't know why someone should have this, or I don't know why this is that," and once she got to of course i am a big gun guy i think uh everyone who's involved in this kind of culture is in a lot of ways that's the kind of catalyst that gets people involved in this Um, Mm -hmm. and i would take the time to sit down and talk to her and now she understands the nuances of gun culture better than most of the people who just say nonsense to her it's about it's about making people informed you know, and not even on guns, you know, on everything that's going on, on the whole spectrum of this thing we call America, you have to make people informed because people aren't going to look for it. There are only certain people who go looking for it. And a lot of times those are people like you and I, who have been to places where they see the consequences of things being taken away. You know, I, I, I think that this is I could go on a rant about how I think everybody should do two years of military service with one deployment. Um, I'm not going to, um, I think it would open us up a lot to understanding what happens and how good you have it. Yes. Um, you know, yes. and I, I think that, uh, going forward education is one of the biggest things that we need, you know, and, uh, I just don't see it going as mainstream as I would hope it would.
0: No, it's going to take a lot more, as I I think I've mentioned it in one of the other podcasts, it's going to take a lot more pain, if you will, for a lot of people to to move into that direction. People aren't motivated by pleasure. If they were, everyone would be millionaires and billionaires because they would strive to succeed that level of, of uh, well, success, and they're If you give them handouts, they're more likely to take the handouts than they are to strive to be the best. So when you remove the handouts at some point, that's going to motivate them to maintain staying off the bottom.
1: Absolutely. Struggle breeds greatness. Mm -hmm. And that's that's been a fact throughout the span of human history. And um, I don't ever see that changing. Um, And that kind of excellent way to slide into how I got to 0241 uh, because there was a lot of struggle involved in that if you're, uh, if you're up to hear about it.
0: Absolutely. I'd like to hear more about 0241 because I think a lot of people um, might not be as familiar with them. And just before you get started, I learned about 0241 from John. Um, he, he John has a YouTube channel. He's got two of them, but he owns a company called UW Gear, which makes chess rigs and uh, like I think it's called the Swamp Fox. They've got a couple that are pretty pretty legit. Um, and he has Alpha Charlie Concepts, which is a, a YouTube channel. And he mentioned 0241, and that's where I originally heard about it. Um, and then once I, I heard the name, I started remembering it and hearing it other places. Um, and I ended up getting a, a chess rig from you guys, and I, I really like it. It's more of a macro-style chess rig. And you know the color patterns y'all have the camos are legit. All the ones uh, that you guys out there listening to this are probably like drooling over. Um, so go check out. I'll link all this in the description. Go check out the Instagram. They have a website and everything. Um, but yeah, so that's how I heard about you guys. So then when I realized after you reached out to me about the podcast, then we started talking about O two four one. I was like, what are the odds? Like this is fantastic.
1: Yeah, it was a, it was definitely a kind of meeting of the minds, moment of fate, and I was uh, I was pretty excited about it because I've been following you for a little bit, um, and I'm big on advancing the culture as much as as possible, and uh, that's that's part of I, I, that's part of the you know the perceived mission of us over at O241 as well, and is offering offering as much as we can at the best quality that we can, um, and I think that uh, I think that one of the reasons why I was so attracted to your Instagram reels and your podcast was the fact that it seemed far less serious. It seemed far less corporate. It seemed far more like, Hey, I am a guy who wants to educate. I want to help people out with this stuff. This is not, uh, this is not a sponsored thing. This is not me trying to, you know, capitalize on a lot of people are capitalizing right now in the state of our country. And I feel like I could see the genuine want to educate, uh, in your content. And so that's something that as someone who's trying to prop up a business within the culture right now, and I'm working right now for one that's been in business for over 10 years, it was very attractive to me from the standpoint of someone who wants to advance the culture. Um, but I started, I, I started working there kind of, that. kind of in that same, uh, moment of fate. My, uh, I was working as a funeral honors coordinator, uh, for the army out of the Missoula district of Montana. And, uh, there's a first sergeant who walked, worked in the office next to me. He's a Bravo company, 163rd for, uh, first or sorry, first class, excuse me, still, still breaking Marine Reddit rhetoric <laughs> over here. But, um, uh, uh, Sergeant First Class, working next to me, and one day he came in with a red dawn pattern boonie hat. And let me tell you, I just about busted. I was, uh, I was, I looked at it and I was like, "That is sick. Where did you get that?" And he was like, "Yeah, there's a company out of Hamilton, which is about a 45 minute drive drive down the road from where I were, or from where I live. Like, there's a company out of Hamilton, and they make." smocks hats neck gaiters um they make a lot of duffel bags and uh they make them in all sorts of camo patterns so this kind of fueled this late night scrolling of me just seeing how many things I could Rhodesian camo pattern which is in (laughs) no way relatable in no way relatable to where I live at all I live in an alpine environment so I'm, (laughs) I'm looking at Rhodey camo at two in the morning and I was like you know what I've always wanted to do this. I've always wanted to learn this profession. Um, I've always wanted to, I've always had ideas of what can make things better from a, a tactical and gear standpoint. So I'm just going to shoot this guy a message. So I got on Instagram, shot him a message and I was like, Hey, um, I noticed, cause at this time uh, they had just lost two employees. Um, they were going on, moving on to bigger and better things. I was like, hey, I just saw that you were missing, uh, you lost some of your employees. Do you think you're going to be looking to hire any more? Would I be able to get involved? And um, I got a message back a little bit later. And they said, hey, Sean, the owner of the company, he's going to give you a call. And so it was maybe three or four days of playing phone tag. And I finally got a call from Sean and he was like, Hey man, we're not looking to hire right now. I'm sorry to tell you. Um, but I'd love to meet you. love to talk to you about everything. And I just kind of got into, I want to do this myself. You know, is there any way you'd be able to sit down with me, tell me how it works, explain the logistics of it to me, you know, and, uh, we can go from there. And so I ended up meeting him got to see the shop where he makes all of his stuff. And uh, we just sat and talked for probably, I'd say an hour and a half, two hours. And at the end of it all, we decided that since I wanted to learn this stuff, since I wanted to prop my own stuff up, he would teach me this stuff as long as I did a little bit of work for him, right? So I'm I'm not even full, fully employed over there, but it's kind of a tit for tat you can be my apprentice, you learn this and there's going to be reward. And so the fact that he was willing to take time out of his busy schedule to take me under his wing, it kind of in a way speaks to the authenticity of his company. And um, I've learned so much. There's so much technicality that goes into just making one garment that you you wouldn't believe and you know i i look back at uh like jocko willink i'm a big fan of jocko willink i listen to a lot of his stuff uh when he was propping up his company origin um when he was propping up his company origin there was a big deal with the looms that they had to make the fabric there was a big deal with finding a workforce that even knew how to do these things and they had to fly in people from all across the country who had worked at garment factories in the early sixties, late seventies, you know, so you've got 80, 90 year old people there teaching 20 year old kids how to operate a loom to make denim. That's awesome. And, uh, it's, it's kind of this resurgence. And I think the pandemic that we went through, I think that that has a lot to do with this kind of returning manufacturing to America thing that's going on. And uh, for sure, I think that it's a beautiful thing. I I think that especially uh, and I'll I'll take a second just to plug myself, if you don't mind. Uh, See, here's here soon. uh, My company, Raid Cut, uh, we're going to be putting out a few things in limited runs, just getting uh, product testing done and then also putting out products in limited runs and limited camouflage. Um, But just the amount of work that it took to get to the point where I could put out 10 of each product that was designed was absolutely astronomical. Uh, you have to learn proper stitching methods. You have to learn to operate two or three different machines. And then also there are things that I'm still learning, like how to order different fabrics, how to create camouflage patterns. One of the great things about 0 0241 is that the owner, Sean, is an absolute genius when it comes to creating camouflage patterns. A lot of the stuff that he's made, like your tiger stri- stripe stripe, uh, the ti- it's not John Wayne tiger stripe. One of the tiger stripes that he has is proprietary. He made it, and it's absolutely fantastic. There are a few others on the site that I can't quite recall right now, which is a shame. Um, but I'll try them. Uh, on the send website, to you there's like a so
0: pattern that. section that you can go and look at all of them.
1: Yeah, there is a pattern section where you can go and look at all of them. Uh, He actually recently just developed one called Dept Sock Mission. Um, It is one of the best camouflage patterns I've ever seen. Uh, We've taken it out. We've looked at it. Uh, We're going to be actually doing a photo shoot and putting it up pretty soon so that the, uh, the general public can see it, but it's on the Instagram right now. And the amount of time and effort that he takes into curating each color curating each pattern line it's absolutely insane. So uh a lot of people look at the prices on the website and they're like, "Whoa, $180, $250 for a jacket or a duffel bag. You know, that's insane." But what you don't know is that every stitch in that jacket is being put in by hand and it takes hours of work to complete this. And um it's, I think that to be real, the prices kind of are not old. bad.
0: I know you yeah. might, you might, you're like trying to yeah. preface it. No, I mean, anyone in this game who goes yeah. and looks at other companies, your prices are below theirs. So, no, you're good. I like For
1: sure. it. And I, I'm not even, I'm not even trying to preface it. I'm just trying to give a better explanation of why it is what it is. Yeah. And I yeah. think that, I think that a lot of people don't quite understand what goes into making something quality and made in the U S but what's really great about it for me and where I see it kind of advancing the culture is it opens up the opportunity for a the feedback of people within the culture to make smaller differences so like even me and you talking right is is a great example of this because if you get one of our smocks and you go hey this company is smaller I can hit them up on Instagram. I can send them an email. I can give them that feedback. And especially with a lot of the companies that you see it, like SHOT Show, a lot of them operate the same way that O241 does. And that's in a very small setting with a small group of people. So they're able to take those ideas to heart. If you and you're like, Hey, Oh, I might get into the definite defamation here. You might need to remove this. Hold on. If you, um,
0: or, or somebody else. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
1: We'll just take the, we'll take that bit about that company out and you can leave this part in for the laughs. Uh, if you're okay with that, yeah. um, but, uh, if you take another company, right, somebody else and you look at their customer support and you say, Hey, your knees are a little bit too tight. I don't have circulation when I'm wearing knee pads, which is a, it's a stupid example, but it's, you know, it's, uh, it's genuine customer feedback. There's going to be someone in an HR department that looks at it for four seconds or not HR, but customer relations looks at it for four seconds and they're like, Hey, I don't care about this. Right. Um, With that smaller setting and that smaller company structure, you're able to go, Hey, we've had this complaint three or four times. We need to sit down. We need to get on the design table, the drafting table, and we need to work something out. And um, I think that that's, the best way moving forward for people to get things that actually work for them. And also the fact that it brings manufacturing back to these smaller communities on a more um, technical scale, I think is just great for communities in general. I think that, uh, that moving forward, we're going to see a lot more of that out of this community and out of this culture. And I'm all for it. I'm here for it. Um, But learning how to sew was just God, it was painful. It was, uh, and I'm still learning every day, but it's one of those very rewarding things where I've made things now that I go, I could reasonably send this to a person and they could use it to defend their life or prolong their lifestyle. And
0: it's such a good skill to have.
1: It's such a great feeling to have.
0: Um, Like to be able to mod your own gear, like I can't tell you the amount of times I've wanted to add pockets and I'm like, I really don't want to do this by hand, right? I can, I can fix a pocket or like a button. I know how to do all that. I have the repair kits, but like, do I, I want to go out and buy a, a sewing machine. And then I'm like, I'm going to, I'm going to fuck it up. Or I don't even know how to, I don't even know how to tie it at the end and cut it off. Right. So that it secures itself properly, much less, you know, stitch it to, to support the weight and everything I want. Um, like, like those hats, I was telling you, I had a few ideas for hats and I've made one myself. And it's like, I've, I've thought seriously about going into that, but I'm like, the, the knowledge that I don't have, there's no way it would work or I could scale it up uh, without literally learning an entire trade first.
1: That's, that's the, you know, that's the beauty of, of being, a, and we joke often that we're seamstresses. <laughs> uh, that's the beauty, the beauty of being a seamstress is uh, you're always constantly learning there's always gonna be a curve all that's on there. Honestly, I, I've said it a lot to, Sh- to Sean, who, who's the uh, owner over there and who I try to apprentice under um, as much as possible. He, sewing is a lot like shooting. And it's the, it's the funniest comparison ever because there's this juxtaposition there of like, when you think of someone sewing, you think of Little House on the Prairie, I'm making a dress out of a burlap sack And then when you think of shooting, you think of all this high speed stuff that you do on the range, but they are so equally technical that it's eerie. So, you know, one little mistake, one pull in the wrong direction, one, um, you know, just holding your hand the wrong way on the fabric as it's running under the presser foot can mess up the entire thing. And then you're back at square one, you're ripping out the seam and you're sewing again Hmm. and. I think that, honestly, if anyone does want to get in and this, is you know, for the listeners, if anyone wants to get into this, jumping in with both feet is one of the best ways to do it. It's, it's just, you've got to get it and you got to rip and roar and it's going to suck. You're going to sew your fingers. You're going to cut yourself all the time. But at the end of the day, the first thing that I made was a tote bag, like a grocery tote bag. Right. And when I made that tote bag as simple as it was, as as like rudimentary and crude as it was, I would say it's up there top five proudest moments of my life. Yeah. And uh, it's it's just such an amazing thing to know that you started out with absolutely zero knowledge of the subject and then now you've created something that has utility.
0: And you can and, create uh, anything. It's, it's like, like Once you know, it's like the possibilities yeah. are endless.
1: The possibilities are endless. So one of the things that, uh, that I'm working on developing personally right now is uh, coveralls. So you'll see now a lot of SRTs, a lot of FAST teams, Maritime Raid Force. A lot of these guys utilized flight suits yep. early on uh, in the War on Terror. And the thing is, it never really advanced.
0: Pre gwat so, uh, Delta Force is all about flight. Pre G Navy SEALs,
1: yeah. Pre G yeah. Pre Delta Force, but, you know, Navy SEALs, because it was the only thing that they had that had Nomex, mm-hmm. you know, which is the which is that flame resistant fabric that you see in a lot of tanker uh, uniforms and you see in a lot of uh, flight suits. And so no one's really advanced that design. And so the idea is to make a coverall that's cut for someone wearing a plate carrier and a battle belt that has easy access to everywhere you need to have easy access to. And it's going to hold together in one piece and kind of give you less moving parts. And, uh, I'm, I'm excited to that see sounds where legit. that goes, but it's, I, I'm, I'm very excited about it. Uh, and it's, it's that excitement's one of the reasons that this becomes so addictive. It's like, if I create this and it has utility, it works. The design is on point where could this take someone? You know, uh, I think that it's super exciting to me to think that one day someone in frickin' Pocatello, Idaho could be doing patrol training with one of their buddies and wearing something that I created specifically for them. You know, and I think that that's...
0: I bet that's an awesome feel. It's
1: like the, the best way that I can support the culture is to provide for the culture you know, even if it is on a on a business basis. And and I think that that's a lot of the attitude of uh, 0241 is we're providing something for people to prolong their life, liberty, and their pursuit of happiness. And in that, that positive is an feedback from your
0: peers in the culture.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It is that it, yeah, that too. And, you know, it, it, it's, it's an amazing feeling, but Anyone out there that wants to get involved in that kind of stuff, you know, you could honestly go to your local tailor shop and you could say, Hey, one day out of the week, I want to come here and I want to learn whatever you can teach me. I will sweep floors. I will clean sinks, but I want you to teach me something. And you would be surprised. And and, I mean, my experience is just with 0241, but you would be surprised how many times people would be like, Hey this person is interested in a dying industry. I need to build something for future generations, you know, because that old lady who works at your local tailor shop could be absolutely thrilled at the idea that you want to come in and learn how to sew.
0: They probably will be,
1: you know, it probably will be, I'm going to, I'm going to throw, I'm going to make the, 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 uh, the, the command, uh, decision that they probably are going to be um you know as somebody who
0: frequents alteration shops because they constantly like sew shit on crooked or whatever those old ladies that work there (laughs) they would love to have a younger person in there that's excited and just wants to learn
1: excited and just wants to learn exactly and you know you know pushing on with that i think that applies to anything You know, if you if you wanna learn how to build fence because you're thinking of buying property to homestead, go talk to somebody who's been a contractor, who's been a ranch hand. If you wanna learn metalwork, go talk to that old man who works at your local welding shop. You know, say, Hey, I wanna learn this. What do I have to do
0: for you to teach me? Typically good hardworking Americans. Like the mentality of, hey, I want to learn this trade for honorable, respectable reasons. Can you teach me? And I, and if you put in the hard work, most people like that. Like, just, I mean, it sounds like common Absolutely. sense, but if you're having, if you're holding yourself back because you're like, I don't know, like lose that mentality. There's literally no reason to have that. People respect hard work and honesty.
1: Absolutely, and humility. And that's, I don't think that that's something that's going to change. No, you know, I walked in there and, and I was. I was kicking myself in the beginning because I would mess up the simplest things, just sewing a straight line. Right. I would mess up and and don't get me wrong today. I still sew crooked lines sometimes, but the fact that I had someone there to go, Hey, you don't have to know everything right now. And I was able to bring myself down to the level where I was like, Hey, I can, I can rig you a field expedient antenna. Right? I can set up an LPOP. I can draw you a range card. I know nothing about how to build a jacket or how to build a (laughs) pair of pants or how to build a hat. I know nothing about this stuff. I am relying on you to teach me everything. And I'm going to listen with bated breath to your every word. To the people who are truly passionate about those things, I think that's one of the most wonderful things that you can hear. Yeah. You know, it's, if if that passion exists, the fact that someone else is showing that interest, and that honestly that level of respect for your knowledge of the subject matter, you know, I think that it's it's a great way for people to like we were talking about earlier with the preparedness. It's a great way to expand your skill set. You know, is to go to people who are these subject matter experts and say, hey, I have a genuine in- interest in the thing that you are passionate about, and I can continue this after you're long gone. You know it's as morbid as that sounds it's a beautiful thing
0: and as uh, and, uh a, as all first sergeants would say just to piggyback off of what you just said there if you're that subject <laughs> matter expert and you're like somebody comes up to you think remember what we're saying here because as it goes the opposite direction you learn more and about the trade that you are an expert on by teaching it to other people that's how you refine it by training people Once you've reached that knowledge, pass it on, you'll realize how to present it better, which will deepen your understanding of the topic.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. I I couldn't imagine trying to teach someone to sew anything right now. Yeah, that's like Um, one of the things that we always used to
0: tell people in the fire department. That's how you know you're ready to try out for the next promotion is if you can teach the guy, a, a rando, your job like well then you understand your job well enough to move on to the next job.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. Which can take five, 10 years,
0: 15 years in some cases.
1: Yeah. building, Building proficiency to the point where you can teach it accurately is I think what most people should strive for, especially with these skills that we're talking about as far as whether it's preparedness or whether it's learning a trade that's useful to your community. I think that you're completely on the right track there. I think that being able to accurately, you know, impart knowledge upon someone on a subject is is definitely the pinnacle of of knowing about that that field. And, um, I mean, let's take I it down it, to
0: a base level. If you can't teach somebody off the street CPR, you don't know CPR. You don't truly know CPR exactly, like you think yeah, you do. And that's a sure. very basic one, but scale that up to a trade or, you know, an entire job, right? And that's kind of what we're getting at.
1: <laughs> Absolutely absolutely um i think that that's uh i think that's a great way to put it you know and i think that part of the thing that's the most beautiful about this whatever you want to call it whether it's prepared citizen culture whether it's just gun culture because gun culture is starting to impart so much more than just rifles and ammunition you know it's becoming a culture of people who want to take responsibility for the safety of themselves, their family and their community. Yes. You know, and, and yes. I think that, I think that moving forward, it encompasses so much more than than just rifles and ammo. And um, I would, I would honestly challenge every listener right now, try and learn something new, even if it's within the year, try and learn something new. That's useful. If there's an overall topic or an overall arch Try to learn something that's useful. Um, and if there's something that comes to mind, how much you
0: enjoy if there's if there's something that comes to mind, like uh, I want to avoid that because I'm I'm uncomfortable about it. That's probably the one you need to pick, right? It's like the one you you always try to look the other way because it hurts to think about how little you know about it. That's probably the one to just go balls deep in and say I'm I'm going to learn at least I'm going to cr- I'm going to learn the crawl phase of this uh Absolutely. you know area.
1: Any move forward is a move in the right direction. You
0: know? yeah, that's right. That's
1: that's the that's that's just the truth, plain and simple. Um, if you know nothing about medicine, right? You know nothing about a uh, TCCC or uh, any kind of first aid. If you learn how to accu- accurately, you know, put in an MPA. You know, you're already in the right direction. You already probably know more than ninety percent of the populace right there. So that's a small win. Take it. Take that small win and go, okay, well, now I'm going to learn how to use a hyphen VIM. And then at that point, you know more than maybe 92% of the population. And just scale it over time. You don't have to jump into it balls to the wall, do everything within a week, and then go, hey, I know this. Because it's all perishable skills. Everything within this you know all-encompassing culture is, is a perishable skill.
0: And to take you know, that, and, and to take that a step further, right? Not even this is such broad spectrum knowledge, and and this is you can use this in everyday non shit hits the fan life, of like let's take my experience in the private sector negotiating and getting people right. If I know one more thing than the next guy, I've earned your trust more than than the other people around me, right? So like, uh, if absolutely. I can speak even. It doesn't even have to be intelligently. But if I know that one thing, like you said about an NPA, I can find a way. It, it You know, it can't obviously be me be talking about something completely different. But let's say I know a little bit about houses, like the construction of houses, because I did work you know, as a young man, like with my dad's construction company, or let's say it's because I was a firefighter and had to learn building construction. And now I'm trying to move in. I can speak intelligently on like the dimensions of the two by fours or like the concrete. Right. And if in a lot of scenarios in life that can gain you the edge, just speaking on one little variable here and there, that makes you more knowledgeable and trustworthy. And the guy for the job or gal for the job that you're interviewing for, or you're, you know, you're talking with somebody about. And ha- if you, the more you know, the more not maybe not personable, but you're going to be able to relate to a lot of people and you're going to come across as a very intelligent individual, which let's be real. You want to be. But that helps you in life. All of this helps you in just Absolutely. more than, you know, shit hits the fan because, you know, the invaders are here or whatever it is.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think that. That kind of, that, that kind of rolls into seeing yourself as a toolbox and how are you going to build that? You know, how are you going to add, it, it's, it's force multipliers at the end of the day, it's force multipliers. That's, that's the best way to put it. You know, if, if you're learning those, like you said, those little nuanced pieces of information about house construction, how a car engine works, you know, even like take it to welding, make Tig welding. Do you know the difference?
0: That's the basis I mean, basis I can think off the top of my head, of 10. 10 different things that TIG or MIG welding, I would need to know that for tactical applications, right? And that's, you just Absolutely. said that, right? Any, so, any almost any subject somebody can come up with, more or less, I can find somewhat, or let's say a trade, I can find somewhat of a tactical application for that or a real life application. So it's just broadening your horizons. I guess that's what this is all about, right? The whole podcast. It's I think I, that's, that's been
1: the, yeah, You know, putting yourself out there, broadening your horizons, making yourself, uh, I have a big, and my my buddies probably, if they listen to this, they're going to roll their eyes when I say this, but everything that you do in your life, my personal creed, my personal motto is everything that you do in your life should lead to accountability for yourself, your family, and your community, right? One is not in sync without the other. It's a big yin-yang situation, right? If I'm not accountable to myself and making myself the best protector, provider, and, um, you know, almost curator of my community as I can be, then my family's not going to work. If my community doesn't work, then I'm not going to work. If I don't work, my family doesn't work. And vice versa, it goes all the way around. If my family doesn't work, my community's not functioning at 100% right
0: that's a great you way to look at. it. All you these. can't just be taking yeah, you, taking you, taking you have to give back yeah. you have to
1: give back everything everything works in the conjunction with one another so if i learn we'll take it to take a mig it, it sounds like it's it, it's a good overall encompassing example learn weld right if i learn to weld what can i do i can weld something on my truck that needs repairing right so if i have a if i have a leaf spring that's popped and I don't have the money for a leaf spring, it's just not in the budget, I can weld that leaf spring together, right? I can, I can fix that and at least it's a quick fix and it works for now, right? My family, if we have massive flooding, I can weld on water walls. My community, if my neighbor's horse trailer hitch snaps, I can go over and I can say, hey man, you know, if you give me riding lessons, I can just weld this on for you, no problem. I can do it in a day. So just right there, three applications to those three points, your family, yourself, and your community are met with one trade mm-hmm. and And I think that that's a it's a great way of, of looking at it and making yourself a more capable individual you know for situations that arise in the future. what are, what are your thoughts and from a firefighting perspective, I'm sure that there there are thoughts that come up within that realm because you serve the community and yourself and your family throughout that.
0: Well, that's like, uh, the, the firefighting thing is, it's a whole different animal to be honest, because it's like, I, I always looked at it from, um, I'm not going to do it half ass. Like I got into it via volunteering. That's just kind of what got my feet wet. And I realized that if you want to do like, at least here in the Southeast, it's different up in the Northeast, those guys. And then maybe in like California and Arizona, that firefighting uh, pace is all the time in the Southeast. It's not as much, it's more other style of calls unless you're in super urban areas and large cities. Then it's the, the pace is nonstop. And I realized I wanted to go and do that at a high level, the highest level I could, at least in my area, my state, if you will. And, I, to even within that department or that city, if you want to be the one that's running all the fires, all the pin ins, all the shootings, you have to go to a, one of a few stations, right? So I get to that station, I realize for me to operate within this community, it has to be all or nothing. So I have to, I have to spend, it's like you have, I forget who said it, maybe it was, um, Who's the runner? The He was a Navy SEAL. You know, he's a motivational guy now. You know who I'm talking about? David
1: Goggins.
0: Goggins. Good old David Goggins. Goggins. Yeah, yep. love me some Goggins. So he was talking about this. People are going to think you're crazy. People are going to look at you like, dude, why are you doing this? Like, you're off time. You're devoted to this. Even when you're at work, you're training. It's hot outside. You shouldn't be training. Like, everyone else is taking a break. You're doing it at night. Like, staying up. Like, people are going to think you have a problem. But when you realize the responsibility laid on your shoulders of if this high rise goes up, right, if 30 floors, 50, 60 floors goes up or the college goes up, I'm going to go there and I'm going to be responsible for these people. If I'm not in shape, I'm not going to be I'm going to be dog tired when I get to the 50th floor after walking from the bottom floor, then I have to fight fire or then I have to help people. Right. Put them on my shoulders and come down. Right. Or rappel out of the door, out of the window. I mean, that takes so many skills to get to the level of I understand the danger. I'm responding at a professional level. I have the physical capability to that. Most people can't exert just getting to the fire because it's not just walk 50 floors. Do it with one hundred and fifty pounds of gear on your back, knowing full well what other firefighters have encountered over the years and the danger and what you're about to expose yourself to and then have outs, and then understand, hey, I know how to repel out of a, out of here. I know how I'm going to get to the next floor because the ladder can't reach 50 floors. Do you know how to breach, you know, windows at that level? Um, do you have the mental wherewithal to know the room's about to explode and flash to even do that? Then, I mean, do you have the knowledge of how to connect the fire connections, how to determine how to get up there? Is the elevator working? Do we need to hold it to the floor below? How much air do I have, right? And it, when you just look at all the different things that you have to account for, if you want to do anything at the highest level, it, it equates to everyday life in so many different facets of it. And, and taking all that in from the responsibility level, right? I realized one of the reasons I got out is I, if anything else creeps into that space, whether it's, you know, your home life or another side job you have or whatever it is, um, mental health problems or or something like that, I had to back out. I was like, I can't operate at this level if there's – if anything is sidetracking me because what happens when I'm in the moment and everyone needs me and my mind goes somewhere else, that's unacceptable. The responsibility that you have to those – that community – Right? That's how you know you're in the zone, is if you know when it's you understand when you got to get out. So I, I would suggest find find something like that if you're listening to this. If you're just a guy and you've just been having random jobs your whole life, go find a job that the stakes are so high you have to, you, you think you should get out before you give up the obsession. Whether that's skydiving, whether it's being a cop or an EMT, going into the military. Um, because once you do that, you sort of have a greater understanding and respect for the, the group, if you will, the community, and you'll probably earn some respect and life skills along the way, which will translate into you having, uh, a better understanding of just how to address life issues, um, that are maybe something you can't really even wrap your mind around right now. Uh, one thing, if I can remember this, I was going to say it earlier, um, being a dad, I don't, I want to, I want to know so much. I don't ever want my kids to look up at me and ask me a question and me be like, well, I don't know, or give them some stupid wrong sheep sheeple answer because I heard it on the news. I want to be able to speak intelligently on anything my kids or family are going to ask me. And if not, I want to be able to understand how to acquire that information fast So that's sort of one of my big motivations is, and maybe not even just the questions, but being that beacon of understanding and like a bedrock for the family and my group of like, Hey, no, that's bullshit. Or this is how we're going to do it because of this, not, and not because I I'm leading you all in the wrong direction because I don't know what I'm talking about, because I know from life skill and hard work, this is why this has to happen. And when you have the family unit around you that respects you enough to follow or the mag to follow, it's because you, you're speaking from experience, right? So that's the, Absolutely. that's the goal for me as a father, but then as, as well as like a, you know, a prepper or minute man type person, because I understand there's not enough of us. So we will be force multipliers and leaders if that need ever arises. So we have to have that ability to lead. And that's such a, huge vast you know topic in and of itself just sort of the basics here go out and do hard shit go out and do honorable you know dangerous things and that will that will help you in that that leadership role uh when the time comes
1: absolutely that's that's a big deal you know i think that you know especially that was a long you know, I'm, 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 oh it's it was a it was it was filled with it was filled with a. It was filled with excellent points, though. You know, I, I've, I've been, uh, you know, I'm trying to form my words here. I've seen a shift in just culture in the U.S. in general, where people are people are afraid to do hard things. You know, people people are afraid to do hard things, and there's no shame in being afraid to do hard things. People I, I are afraid to they, fail.
0: They don't want people, people to mock people and are, shame them.
1: Absolutely, and I, I remember, and I'll take it back, uh, take it back quite a few years in the in the young Bill's life. Um, I remember sitting on the bus at Paris Island. I was absolutely shitting myself. It core memory formed. I was shitting myself. I was going, "What have I done? What am I doing here?" this is wrong. I shouldn't be here. I could be at home right now with my buddies ripping trucks down dirt roads and just having a good time. You know, I could get a job at, I could get a job at Wendy's until I get a better job doing a trade. I'll figure it out. I can, I can quit now. I can back out. And when the drill instructor got on the bus, he commanded so much respect from that moment that I woke up four days later and I was like, what am I still doing here? Wait, what, what happened? I had a plan. I was going to walk up to him and I was going to tell him, Hey, this is not for me. And I woke up four days later. Like I just time traveled. What just happened? And then, you know, lo and behold, many years later I look back on it and I would not be the man that I am today. If I hadn't stuck through the hard shit. Yeah. And you know, you look back on it and you wonder where you would have been. I, I would have been nowhere near as as generally, you know, for a person my age, as as well off as I am right now, you know, if if I had not stuck to it. And that fear is something that you can overcome. And I think a lot of people are a lot of people are hung up, you know, bringing it back to just, you know, learn everything you can, be all encompassing, collect as many force multipliers as possible. Um, I think it all comes back to don't be afraid to jump. Don't be afraid. Have you ever heard of the flinch? You know, do you know what I mean when I say the flinch?
0: I have an idea. What, when you're like talking so, at one of your friends?
1: No, so, so Jocko Willink. Uh, talks about this a lot and I'll bring up Jocko if we if we do another podcast I'll end up bringing bringing up Jocko again that man is my hero Uh, but you know he always says cold showers only right and so that's rooted in actual psychology right and so the root of that is if you turn on a cold shower everything in your body is telling you not to get in that shower everything in your body unless you're just a weirdo who was born not liking hot showers everything in your body is telling you not to get in that shower right so psychologists use cold showers to overcome what they call the flinch and the flinch is that moment before you do something that is beneficial for you but you're afraid of the consequences of doing it right whether that's failure whether that's hurting yourself whether that's just getting in a cold shower and being cold, that flinch is something that everyone has. It's innately within you, but psychologists use a cold shower to basically weed that flinch out of you slowly. Because if you wake up one morning and you go, okay, I've got to get ready for work, but I'm gonna take a cold shower. I know that there are health benefits to taking a cold shower. I'm gonna take a cold shower. When you get to that shower, there's that moment where you go, I could look down at this hot water and I could turn the hot water back on and I could have a great shower and there would be no consequences to me having this shower. Right. But there won't be any benefits either other than me just feeling good, fleeting moments of, I didn't have to do something I was uncomfortable with. Right.
0: But if you get into that cold shower,
1: you know, yeah. Fleeting moments. If you get into that cold shower, you let that cold shower wash over you and you get out and then you do it again the next day and you do it again the next day that flinch is going to become more and more and more and more and more minute until you're more comfortable doing things that scare you to the point where it's beneficial to your life. And, uh, and I think that that's like, I would have never gone skydiving before I joined the Marine Corps. Now I would hop out that plane. Like it was like, it was the greatest thing I've ever done in my life. You know, it's, it's, it's having the wherewithal to go, I understand that I struggle with making decisions that potentially have consequences. What are small steps that I take that lead to bigger steps? You know, and it all comes back to learning new skills like we were like we were talking about earlier. You know, you you, you learn one skill and then you go, okay, I was able to conquer this. What's the next thing? What can I conquer next? What can I do next? It's all a mountain climb and you're always looking for the next mountain. But it gets easier every time.
0: I remember specifically uh, my first jump in airborne school. And I had a bunch of people. It's kind of funny just replaying this in my mind. Leading up to that point at different intersections of life saying or asked me the question, why would you jump out of a perfectly good airplane? And I didn't it didn't register with me. I always kind of laughed it off like you're kind of a pussy for asking me that. Right. Like it's it's cool. Like, that's what I want to do. It sounds, you know, I'm going to be a paratrooper. It's going to be cool. And I remember specifically, like, the doctor at MEPS, he asked me. um, My dad asked me. Some other random people asked me in basic training. And then I get there all through, you know, the practice sessions and everything. We go for our first jump. And I'm in a, I want to say it was a C 130. I don't think it was a C 17. And I remember specifically, so, this was back when the digital gray acus like the ucp color we were wearing and so those pants right they're a little bit baggier they're not like cry cut or anything like that it's just sort of bdu style pants more or less and my knees were fucking knocking back and forth dude i was shaking i was (laughs) was trembling i was absolutely (laughs) trembling and I, I was just telling myself, why the fuck am I going to jump out of this airplane? This is so stupid. <laughs> there's no need. There's literally nothing that that I need to jump out of this for. It's going to land. I should land in it. And then, you know, they tell you, get you know, stand up. I get up there and you you go, right? Because not everybody, most yeah. everybody, once you're at that point, they commit. You don't want to let the people down around you. You don't want to have that embarrassment. Um, and you, you jump. But had... Had I not jumped, what would that have done? What would like what are the lifelong effects of, OK, so now you don't go to this unit, you go to another unit, but then you have that overarching thought of I didn't make it or I couldn't do it. And then it's, I feel like that that affects the rest of your life. So getting to that point of pushing past the uncomfortable or the uncomfortable, you know, hesitation or this being scared Um you have to acknowledge the fact that it's uncomfortable and scary, right? And that that determination to say, fuck it, I'm going to do it anyway because I know once I accomplish this, I'll be better off or or it has to be done. uh, So I'm the person to do it. Finding that acceptance, once you do it, it is like you said, once you do it once, it's a little bit easier the next time, a little bit easier the next time. It's like going to the gym and making it a routine.
1: For sure. Absolutely. It's, it's, it's just one of those things. And, and I, I implore, once again, I implore the listeners, you know, find something, whether it's something big, whether it's something small, find something. If you don't know how to change your windshield wipers, go change your windshield wipers. You know, it's, it's, uh, it's the little victories that push you toward being a better all around and more competent individual. And uh, that's going to take you leaps and bounds further than anything I ever, ever would. And, uh, that's that's the best way that i think it, it can be summarized or or uh, finished up is is that you just need to you need to push yourself to do things that you're uncomfortable with so that you become a better fighter you become a better protector a better provider and you can handle business like you need to handle business just just as a as a human being on this planet, (laughs) handle business the way that you need to handle business. And there's a lot that goes into that.
0: Well, let me, uh, let me ask you this one last thing before we go. Um, so based on, based on your experiences, right. Um, RTO infantry guy seamstress, (laughs) um, living out in Montana, right. Just that in and of itself, all the, the the details you've you've picked up along the way what is something i think our audience generally speaking are are like prepared citizens preppers should hit the fan type you know individuals tactically you right uh what what tip or set of tips would you want to impart on them in closing
1: what tip or set of tips it's an excellent question um,
0: I know you mentioned a few things think, along the way, but I didn't know if you wanted to summarize be, that or
1: <clears throat> be prepared for the long
0: haul.
1: Be prepared for the long haul. And I I try and I try and impart this to as many people as possible, even even outside of the preparedness community and outside of this this Manet man community. Be prepared for the long haul you are going to have the rest of your life to put shots on target. And that's not just speaking to, you know, firearms proficiency. You will have the rest of your life to put shots on target. Whether that's I'm going out and I'm setting traps. I'm going out and I'm going to go try and find a new source of drinking water. I'm going to go out and try and find a new trade partner. Right you have the rest of your life to be successful in those things or you're going to die. It's something that's not often mentioned and it's not something, it's something that's often kind of glossed over, but I want them to understand the consequences of not doing the things that they need to do. Right. Be prepared for the long haul and you have the rest of your life to put shots on target. Um, and you have to be proficient in order to do those things so it all once again all comes back to what we were talking about learn 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 education is the most important force multiplier that you have and whether that's reading a Wikihow article at, at the end of the day when you're sitting on the couch with your wife or you know whether that's going and taking a bushcrafting class learn or you're not going to be able to put those shots on target and uh, that's the best advice that I can give. And also, stop learning uh, stop learning like dumb stuff. I meet a lot of people who are like, yeah, I'm taking an advanced baton class. And I have no idea what that's about. It's, it's a lot of people who waste their time with this tactical, I'm going to learn Krav Maga for three years and put thousands and thousands of dollars into it. Because at the end of the day, what wins the fight is violence of action. You know, 30, 30 minutes of unadulterated, pure, savage, animalistic violence will win the fight every time balls to the wall, get it done. Uh, and that's, those are the two points that, uh, the two points that I would leave people with. And if I come on, if I come on the podcast again, I'll, I'll talk a little bit more about that. The 30 minutes of unadulterated violence because that's a that's a whole talking point uh, upon itself.
0: Dude, we should um, literally do learn, that, and I'll, I'll name it: 30 minutes of unadulterated violence. <laughs> that's a great
1: 30, one. 30 minutes of unadulterated violence. Uh, <laughs> yes. I I tell I tell, and I I'm gonna scoot I'm gonna scoot into it a little bit, give them a little little uh little preview. Uh, I was doing a a search and seizure course what we were talking about earlier uh, with Bravo Company 163rd uh, with my platoon and we had a kid who was like well if he breaks out of the cuffs the cover man doesn't need to shoot him because I might be able to just land a kick or like a roundhouse on him and I, I literally looked at this guy and I was like I want you to know something right now you don't need to worry about punching him you don't need to worry about kicking him You don't need to worry about sweeping his legs, putting him in a guillotine, getting him in an arm bar. I don't want you to worry about anything like that. Either push him away, make room for your cover man to smoke his ass, or you will have him on the ground, and you will be sticking your thumbs into his fucking eye sockets. Yeah. Because it doesn't matter how technical you are. It doesn't matter how much you've trained Brazilian jiu-jitsu if I'm touching your brain with my thumb, you're losing the fight. That's right. And, uh, and I think that that's something we we'll, we'll, we can touch on that in, in an episode, if you'd like, because I've had a lot of experience to. with, uh, with meeting a bunch of people who have just taken me down to earth so fast <laughs> with, uh, well, if you do that, I'm just going to pull your tongue out of your throat because yeah. it only takes eight pounds
0: and with that yeah, getting it's... your tongue pulled out with eight pounds of pressure uh... <laughs> uh, yeah yeah it's
1: uh it's it's a wild thing with that uh, i would say we bring it to a close my man
0: oh yeah brother well i greatly appreciate it and uh we'll definitely have you back on for that 30 minutes of uh unadulterated violence <laughs> you stay safe man and i'll be in Absolutely. touch
1: absolutely man it was great talking to you You take it easy
0: take care bye